God is working in our midst and all over the place and through various ways. And he gets to use us to be a part and we get to experience it. What a joy. I want to invite you this morning to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're continuing in our study. High five, I'm alive. High five, I'm alive. All right. Give the person next to you a high five. High five, I'm alive. Give the person on the other side, if there is one, high five, I'm alive. All right. We're looking at these first five character traits. You're not supposed to slap them. You're supposed to hit their hand. There you go. They don't need to be waking up. We'll wake them up. All right. Five character traits that God says you are as one of his children. And let's go through them quickly together, and we'll continue from where we left off last week. We should have them up on the screen. First of all, I am blessed. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am accepted. I am redeemed. There they are. High five, I'm alive. Awesome. All right. Now, we're on adopted this week, looking at adopted, and we started it last week, but we had some promotion activities, so it took up some of my precious sermon time, so I knew you, wanted to, you didn't want to miss out, so we'll get part two today. 4.2 message on adopted. What a wonderful concept, this idea that we are adopted by God. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Now, let's just read from 1 to verse 5 to catch up. To the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, there it is right there. Having predestined us, already chose us to be adopted as sons. And then we talked about the fact that we were adopted to himself. There's a personal connection there, according to the good pleasure of his will. So as adopted sons, even if, gals, even if you're a daughter, there was a Roman citizen official legal adoption process that Paul is referring to here. So that's why he says son specifically, because the son in Roman culture received the father's blessing, received the father's title, received the father's responsibilities, right? Received all that the father had legally was entrusted to him when he became of age. As an adopted son, that was true, legally. So he he plays on that Roman concept because as we talked about, Ephesus was a very Greek Roman culture. So Being adopted carries something specific as a son. As a son, we receive, we looked at these truths, the father's personal privilege, and we also receive the father's personal presence and that connection, Abba, Father. Now, what we want to do today is look at the third point. As a son, we also receive the father's personal plans. The father's personal plans. That means whatever the father is doing, whatever is significant in the father's plan, As an adopted son, that automatically becomes a significant part of your plan, your life. Now, in America today, that's maybe not so much true. God has a plan, and people in the church just sort of sometimes take off on their own, and they make uh, their faith, their walk, church about something entirely different. Well, they do that by choice, but really, that's not the plan. The plan is that every single son that's been adopted in Jesus Christ, therefore every church, is following meticulously passionately and with the same commitment that the Lord has his plans. What are the Father's plans? What does that look like in our life? First of all, let's look at Jesus the model. Turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to show you this. This is really cool. Luke chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to call the Father's plans, just for the sake of discussion, the Father's business. Is that okay? We can say the, the Father God, um, he's up to something. He has an intentional plan a strategy, he's working, and we call that, let's say, his business, God's business, and as sons, we are adopted into his business, so we could say it's the family business, if you will, and we are all born into it. Well, look at, look at chapter 2 of Luke, begin there in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, that's Jesus, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast, when they had finished the days and re- as they returned, The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. 
But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Time out. Confession time. Are there any other parents in the room besides Bud and Julie that have took off, got home, and realized that you are missing one of your children? (laughs) It's time to be honest, right, in church. We have done it. Fortunately, it was at church, so um, we went quickly back to church and found her in a classroom with her good friend coloring. But, uh, boy, that's a scary feeling, isn't it? Like, what in the, where, how do we do that? And you got to understand, in Jewish culture, it's a little different. You say, three days? Man, like, if it was three days in America and you were missing your 12-year-old, there'd be some big trouble. The cops would be out. They'd be on milk cartons, right, in the post office. There'd be major panic. But in Jewish culture, it's a little bit different because Jewish Hebrew culture, 12 years old, is bar mitzvah age. That's when a, a boy becomes a man. And so he still was under the care of his parents, and they were still providing for him, but he was also expected to own some of the responsibilities of being a Hebrew man. And that particularly was true in worship time. And so he was at the temple. Now, I love, I love the uh, reply of Jesus here. Look at verse 47. Uh, all who heard were astonished that he's in the temple and they're amazed that he has such insight. Verse 48, so when they saw him, that's, a, that's all of them, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Could you just imagine? And his answer, he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. Jesus knows that he's a son of the heavenly father. And the heavenly father has plans. He's working. There's a purpose and a reason. So when he becomes of age to become a man, he's making a clear statement. He's saying, I'm no longer doing, you know, carpentry work or whatever it is that, that, that the earthly responsibilities. He said, now I've become of age. I have to own the business of my father. I have to be busy doing whatever it is my father is doing because I'm his son. You see that? Well, the same is true for you and I today. Because we are adopted sons, we also, we should be about our father's business. We should be about our father's business. It's the family business, and I want to show you what it looks like. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 talks a little bit about this family concept of what God's doing, why he's called us all to be part of the family. Are you guys awake this morning? I'm just checking in with you. Is it hot in here? Are you sleepy? Because I can come down there and run up and down the aisles if you want me to. We can... All right, I'm just checking. You this fit, spit starts flying when I do that, so make sure you're awake. You don't want a baptism that you didn't count on this morning. So I want to make sure. First Peter chapter 2, look there, beginning in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says, you... God's people are a chosen people. We already talked about that. Remember? Blessed, chosen, adopted. So he said, you're a chosen people, and you have been called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Now look at verse 40. I'm I'm sorry, look at verse 10. (laughs) Who once were not a people, but now are a people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see the underlying adoption concept? You, were not, you did not belong to the family. You weren't born naturally, in a sense, into this family. You did not belong. Why? Because of sin. We were disqualified from being in relationship to God because of our sin nature. But through Jesus Christ, his death, his sacrifice, the atonement, right? You with me? Because that was made possible, those of us who received the free gift of forgiveness now have been redeemed. We've been adopted. Now you are. You are not a people of God, but now you are a people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now let me work backwards. What's the Father's business? Well, the Father's business is all about bringing glory to himself. 
You understand that? That's why he created creation. To display his glory. So that what he created could recognize, value, and enter into his glory. Can experience it. He wants to, the father, this is his business folks, he wants to share his glory with people. That's why he created us. That's what it's all about. So working backwards, all this is so that they, they will glorify God. That's the purpose. In other words, that's why you've been called as this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. So there are three aspects that I want to show you this morning when it comes to being busy about the Father's business that we should do, that we should be regularly, consistently involved in. The Father's business. First of all, we proclaim his goodness. It says in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now mark this. Look at it. Verse 9. That you may proclaim the praises of who? Who? Him. God. See that? You have been adopted so that you could proclaim proclaim the praises of him. You see? The one who created everything to glorify himself, to share his glory. So that we've been put right in that process. It's part of the Father's business. Proclaiming the praises of him, to give him glory, to, in a sense, proclaim the goodness of God. What makes God different? What makes God distinct? What makes him God that nothing else is? That's what we're to proclaim. Now, there's several ways we can do that. Number one, we proclaim it with our words. With what we say, we proclaim, we speak to God's glory and God's goodness. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things to talk about in life today, isn't there? I, sometimes I just, you like the people watch? I like to watch. I like the people listen, too. Just sit where people are congregating or talking, Christians or non-Christians. You know, it's very rare that we hear people speaking of the goodness of God. Now, it happens, don't get me wrong, but it's very rare, and I think maybe even too rare among the church people. We are to be using our communication gift to proclaim the goodness of God. It's our responsibility to direct conversations, to watch for opportunities in life that we can step into life to where people are and begin to, with our words, give evidence of the praises, of the goodness, of the glory of God, the things that we've experienced, the things God has blessed us with, what we have seen what we know about the truth of God's word. All those things, no matter what's happening in our life, it's our responsibility to proclaim them with what we say, with our speech. How about this week? How much of your speech this week is geared towards proclaiming in some way the praises of God, the goodness of God? Now, we don't just do it with what we say because if I'm reading correctly in that passage in 1 Peter, make sure we're doing this by what the Bible says, right? Not by what Bud's making up, right? Look at it, because, you know, I can get pretty, pretty creative sometimes. Look, look at verse, uh, look, look down to verse 12. He's talking about the way we act in the world. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by what you say, glorify God. Did I get that right? I caught some of you sleeping. You're just like, uh-huh, yeah, that's cool. That's what it says. No, it doesn't. Read it. Look. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by, not by what you say, but by your good works, by what you do, actions in your life. It's not just what we say. It's also what we do that should give praise and give glory to God's goodness. Now, now watch this. What if, a little evaluation time. What if you had to live this week and each and every single day you were responsible to proclaim the goodness of God but you couldn't say one word? What would that look like for you tomorrow in your world, in your relationships, in your life? How would you, like what if God's going to grade you at the end of the week? Like, hey Ted, okay, it's Friday. Let's, let's go back and look at your week here. This, you didn't say a word because you couldn't, but here's what you did. Where was that proclaiming my goodness? How, how was that proclaiming who I am? What I have done, what I have given you, what I have shown you? Uh, that's an interesting challenge. It's easy to proclaim, give lip service. 
It's much harder with our life to give God's love, to display forgiveness and mercy. Like, hey, what about when somebody mistreats you this week? You see, you have a, you have a chance. You could either get bitter, angry, cuss them out, think in your mind how awful and terrible they are, how you would never do such a thing. Or you can go out of your way. Watch this, church. You can go out of your way, pick up the phone, get in your car, go to the other side of the room, get in the middle of their life for the opportunity to forgive them. To give them what they don't deserve. Forgiveness, mercy, kindness. You see, that's communicating, proclaiming the goodness of God without saying necessarily one single word. All right. We proclaim his goodness with what we say, with what we do. And this, I'm going to show you this final point, with one another. This is interesting. Watch this. With one another. Now, according to verse 9, when he's talking about us being adopted, he says that we are a, a generation, a priesthood, a nation, and a people. Every single one of those phrases is plural. Not one of them is singular. It's referring to a group of people. Got it? It's referring to a community, a family, if you will. We're in this together to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There is a sense, a very real sense, in fact, a major portion of scripture that is dedicated to showing us that the way that we proclaim the goodness of God to the people in this world is together, as a people, in community with one another. That our lives, as our lives are intertangled and intertwined, and as we're interdependent upon one another, and our, our, our schedules are interrupted by one another, and, and we care more about one another sometimes than ourselves, when there's that kind of dependence upon one another, sharing life together, there's a unique way in which that proclaims the goodness of God that the world has never known. It's reserved exclusively for God's family, for God's people to do. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I'll show you what that looks like. You know, every single person who has been adopted also gets a gift. He's a pretty gracious father, isn't he? He called us when we had no family to be part of his family. He adopted us when we had no real deserving of an intimate relationship with the holiness of God, he called us right into that by grace. Like we just, we didn't have, all we had to do is accept. All we had to do is say yes. And we become the recipient of the Heavenly Father adopting us. And then he, on top of that, he gives us gifts. Spiritual gifts. Things that before we were adopted, we had no concept of. We would not even understand, much less be able to exercise and utilize in our lives. They're just by grace. It's not because you're cool or you're very nifty or have special skills. Just because he adopted you, he gave you these gifts. Now, here's what we need to see. In Romans 12, it's talking about those gifts. It begins in chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's like saying, hey, he adopted you so that you could be about the Father's business. That's what your life is for. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. You're not part of their family. You're part of his family. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's business, his plans, you prove it in your life. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now watch this. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, look at verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There is this beautiful concept. We've looked at this before. 
He refers to us as a family, like a body. And the gift that he gives to each one is so that each one can fulfill different roles and different parts in the body. But think about the body analogy. Any one certain part of the body is much less valuable when it's disconnected. Is that true? See, the gift that he gave you isn't very good out there on the street by yourself. Not part of a local church. Not committed. Not serving. Doesn't do you much good. It's designed to work with other parts based on his other gifts that he gives. Now watch this. When that happens, something remarkable takes place. A greater good is accomplished. More so than any one or two people in this room can do, when the body gets together and we're operating in our spiritual gifts, serving together as the local church, there is a manifestation of his goodness that we couldn't do on our own. That's the Father's business. Do you know why I wanted to point that out to you? Because here's what I believe. I believe that if you read the New Testament, you'll learn this. There is more application in the New Testament about us doing the Father's business together than there ever is any one of us doing the Father's business alone. Because of what I just said. Because of the way that it's enhanced when we come together. Because we are a family. Because, you know, if you go on to read in chapter 12, it goes on to talk about let love be without hypocrisy. Remember that? And be kind to one another. And don't mistreat one another. Care for one another. Right? That's what chapter 12 is all about, right? Look what it's saying. I hate it when we just pull one passage out of context and get it all wrong. Look at this. It's saying, you've, you've been called and adopted to be, to be used for him to accomplish his goodwill, and he's given you gifts and made you part of a body so that we can do it together. As we operate and serve together in the world as a community, it begins to do things that we couldn't do. And then he says, by the way, it has to do with how you love one another and how you care for one another and how you forgive one another, even within the church. And the way that we operate as we treat one another in real life, in the trenches, right? Not on Sunday morning when you put your smiley face on and your church clothes on. Talking about real life. It's then that his goodness is proclaimed. That's when the world says, wow, there's something different about that. I I can't explain that but I want a piece of it. This God, he's good. You see, boy, I'm telling you, when the world, when all they see is bickering and legalism and fighting and disagreements in the church, how does that proclaim the goodness of God? Answer? It don't. It doesn't proclaim the goodness of God. And you know what that means? That means as adopted sons, we're not being busy about the father's business. We're doing something else. So we see very carefully, very closely, part of the father's plan and us being part of that business is that we are proclaiming his goodness with what we say, with what we do, and with one another. Secondly, we are to show his love. To show his love. That's part of the goodness of God, part of how he glorifies himself. Now, now listen, church. Listen carefully. There's nobody else on the planet that's capable of showing God's love. Except his sons that he's adopted. Do you see that? Nobody else has the right. Nobody else knows that love. Nobody else has accepted that love and appropriated that love. They can't understand it. Except those who have been adopted as sons, they know it. They know it firsthand. We show his love. Now look at this. Look in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you a little word study here. You ready? Put your, get your pens, thinking caps on, pens out, whatever you need to do, right? Get ready. Wake up the person next to you. Verse 9 says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now watch this. His own special people, it says. Now, that's an interesting word, the, the term for special there. It can be literally translated peculiar. You might have heard that before. His own peculiar people. 
hey, I'm, I'm looking at all your faces, and that fits with some of you. I mean, come on. We are peculiar, aren't we? We're just, we're, but that's not really what it means. Peculiar in the sense of specially treated. It has the idea here of, of being saved, peculiar, special, possessed. It's like, it's like the little kid that run around, runs around with that, that rag doll with the you know, eyeballs have fallen out and stuffing's coming off of it. And it's all, you know, but, you know, he just he takes that thing everywhere because he loves it so much. And so it doesn't matter what you think about it, but you know this. Wherever he goes, that thing is with him because, because that is a very peculiar, especially valued piece of his life. That's what this means. The world is supposed to see everywhere God is working that he's attached to and bringing along with him and using his very peculiar people, his own specially saved people. We've been the ones who have been redeemed, adopted, bought back. If you're anything like me, sometimes that's a little overwhelming. What a responsibility. Like everywhere I go, I'm supposed to represent God. I don't, I just, let's be honest. God, I don't feel capable of that. I know myself. You guys don't know this about me. You think I, I never, never make any mistakes because I'm the pastor. But I blow it all the time. Right? I just want you to know that I blow it big time. And I, I, that's overwhelming to me. I think, what is it about me that I think is worthy, capable of showing God's love? I didn't even grow up in a good home. I don't know what love looks like. But you see, that's where it comes to this adoption concept. Because we have been the recipients of that love, now think about what God's love did for us. Who were not a people, but now are the people. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do you see it? Who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Hey, church! What you proclaim about God's love, what you show about his love, is that even though you were broken, and even though you were a mess, and even though you still sometimes blow it, you still have been forgiven. You've become something special because God's working in and through you. You're now capable of displaying that same love, that same mercy, and that same forgiveness. That's what you have that nobody else does. To love people like God loves people. To display an unnatural mercy. To give to people what inside of you, you never had the strength, the courage, or never have any ability to do. Grace to somebody else. It's all about restoring what is broken. A couple weeks ago, I went out to, uh, to a, a place called Exodus Farms. You guys familiar with that? The Muncie's daughter... Ginger um, started this thing about, I think it's 12 years ago, and she's got a horse farm out there, and uh, it's in Anderson, and they take in the most rejected and cast aside children in our county, like the worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel, they have nobody left. They take them and they incorporate them into learning horsemanship and riding horses. And they found that this connection with horses is extremely healing. And Ginger started this ministry based on God speaking to her through experiencing God, by the way. Interesting story. And um, it's amazing what God is doing. Amazing. There's like 70 or 80 kids every week out there with no homes, no parents, drugs, sexual abuse that come from the worst. One girl was sold Every week, sold at a truck stop by her mom and her grandma to sex slavery. Here in Reading, eight years old. And she comes out, you want to talk about a broken little girl? You want to talk about somebody who does not know what love is? And they started this ministry, and as they open up to the horses, Ginger and the volunteers that are out there share the only thing that they know 
can help God's love. They don't take any state funding because they want to unashamedly say it's Jesus and his forgiveness and his love that gives us hope, that restores. And everything about Exodus Farm has the theme of being restored from what is broken to what has been made new. All the volunteers come from broken backgrounds and have been made new. All the kids they're reaching, the teenagers they're reaching, all the horses they use were abandoned or abused horses that have been restored and made new. In fact, the entire property was a dump falling apart, and they have pictures. was broken and restored and made new. That's what God does. That's what God did in your life. That's what God did in my life. And listen, that's how I show his love. By doing the same in the lives of others. Are you with me? Being made new. Taking what is broken and being made useful. What was ashamed and being made appreciated. What was no good and cast aside and left abandoned. And making it esteemed and worthy and accepted. Having purpose and meaning and healing. Listen, that's the Father's business. That's what he's doing. He's doing that in your lives right now. What right do we have to come here into this wonderful building where it's air-conditioned and cushioned seats and sit in here and say, oh, yes, God has been so good, all this healing that he's done in my life, and keep it right here? We don't have any right. That's not why he's bringing healing into your life. He's bringing healing into your life because that's what he does, and he wants you to be part of his work so that it can continue. We don't have the choice. We have the responsibility. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That's what Jesus meant in Ephesians 5. This well-known passage that we talk about and put on greeting cards and hang on paintings in our homes and in our offices about being the light of the world. What does that really mean? Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You, says, are the salt of the earth, but if if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Do you see it? Therefore, adopted son, let your light so shine before men. That, remember what I told you about when you read that? Mark it. It means what you're about to read is the purpose. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What was the Father's business? All about glorifying himself. What are we supposed to do? Be busy about his business. How do we do that? Show his love And when they see that, that glorifies God. Now, I want to show you something. It talks about being light here. You are the light of the world. Adopted son, you are. We are together. You are individually, as a family in Christ. You are the light of the world. And then he says, what city that's been lit up is not set on top of the hill for all to see? What lamp that has been lit has not been put on the lampstand? Why? Why do you put a city on a hill? Why do you put a light on a lampstand? So that the light that it produces, watch this, can be useful, can be helpful, can give sight, illumination, to those who otherwise would be in the dark. Pretty simple concept, isn't it? But think about what it's saying. The world in which we live, Reading community, your neighborhood, your workplace, if it was not for you being there, would be a dark place. They would have no concept of understanding who God is or what his love looks like, except God put you there. And he said, hey, God put you there. Don't hide his love under a basket. Don't get it down off the hill. Don't put it down underneath the dirt in a valley. Let your light shine. That little song we teach the kids, this little light of mine, we make things so trivial sometimes. Don't sing that song unless you're doing it. What does it mean to let your light shine in the community? 
How do you show his love? I'll tell you one thing. Probably a lot of answers to that question. This thing I know. It doesn't happen inside this room. Do we want lost people and people who don't know Jesus that are in the dark to come in here and experience worship? Absolutely we do. We do everything we can to try to get them in here. But truthfully, there aren't very many people that make it in those doors. We'll do upward basketball and VBS and all kinds of activities, Thanksgiving potluck, all kinds of opportunities to try to build bridges to bring people in. But, but the truth of the matter is this. There aren't very many that are going to come in. Our light is not just for this corner of Reading. Our light is to be taken into the world where it's dark. And not just that you stand there, but you show his love. That's a challenge for us, church. I'm not going to say that without really thinking in my own heart, my own mind. How do we do that? Am I doing that? Is my church doing that? Are we going into the community where people are dark and hopeless and hurting? And are we taking the only hope and solution that we have the Father's business, and going in there and shining that light by loving them, by caring for them, by ministering to them right where they are. Are we doing that? Sometimes we're not doing that enough, church. That's a challenge for us in the future. We're not to be put up in some ivory tower secluded from the rest of the world where it's nice and safe and comfortable. Hey, listen, you want to be part of that, join a country club. But if you want to be part of God's business, if you want to be the church, then the church has feet, eyes, hands, a mouth, and we're supposed to be together and individually out into the world, sending, going, go therefore and make disciples. I'm going to say it again. We don't put a sign out front that says, Cross Point Community Church, we teach the Bible, y'all come. We're not doing that. That's not what the scripture says. I don't read, y'all come anywhere. I read, you go, you go, you go, and we have to go. That's the Father's business. That's how we show his love in every area of our life. Finally, to close up here, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, we proclaim his goodness, we show his love, and we save the lost. You want to know what the Father's doing? What the adopted son should be doing, saving the lost. Now I'm gonna. It's pretty evident in First Peter two there, right? He said um, he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he says, "Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims." You know what that means? That means you and I are in this world with a purpose, but we don't really belong to it. We're, we're pilgrims. We've come for a purpose, to bring something specific. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak of you, they give glory to God. We're supposed to be saving the lost in our community. Isaiah chapter 62, how do we do that? Let me give you three simple things and we'll close. Saving the lost in our community. Here's what I do know. There's no way I have any power or ability to make that happen. You don't either. That's all God's business. That's what God alone does. Is God capable that when someone wants to be saved, receive Jesus Christ, that he can, he can deliver? Everybody agree? Is God capable of that? Raise your hand if you agree with that. God can do that. Is it God alone? Is that his work to save the lost souls in the world? How many agree? That's God's work alone. Okay, let me help you. The power to save somebody is God's. Amen? I know some of you said, but not alone. (laughs) You're right. Isn't it interesting? With all the power and ability to save souls all on his own, He chooses not to do it on his own. Every single person that has been saved heard how from someone. They saw 
what it meant by observing someone. They were drawn to the goodness and the reality of it by someone. God's sons, daughters, the church. That's, that's what he uses us to do. And it's, it's very easy to do that. So how do I do that? Well, number one, by showing his delight in you. Look at Isaiah 62. We've got to close here. We'll make it quick. You ready? Isaiah 62 and verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. And watch this. And her salvation as a lamp that burns. God's saying, when I call a people, did the same thing for Israel. My purpose is to use them to call the rest of the world. Salvation burns within the hearts of the people that God calls. Because that's why he calls them. It's all about salvation. It's all about redemption. All we have to do, if you go on and read Isaiah 62, it talks about that he delights in us to do that. Show his delight in you. Uh, some of us, I'm included in this sometimes. Some of us, when others look at our lives and how we live and what we say and get upset about, they don't see God's delight in us. His delight in you. Also by sending you, he sends you. Remember John 17? Father, you've given them to me. I've done what you said to do. Watch this. John 17, I think it's verse 18. He says, and I am sending them as you have sent me. You've been sent. Hey, quiz, question. If Jesus Christ sent you to go lead people to salvation like he was doing, how are you doing at that? Well, you don't understand. I don't, I don't have the training. I don't have the right relationships. There's nobody in my life that would want to know how to get saved. I don't have the right things to say. I don't have... I don't have, I don't have. doesn't matter. He sent you. And he does have. He sent you. He sends us to go and save the lost. Speak of the gospel. Share of the truth. And let God do the rest. And finally, by pleading through you. How does he save the lost? By pleading through you. Listen to this one verse and we'll close. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though, watch this, God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. I think sometimes we're not busy about our Father's business, church. I think sometimes we're hoping somebody gets saved because the pastor preaches the right message or because... They watch Billy Graham on TV or, or there's that once-in-a-lifetime perfect opportunity for us to share and we just can't walk away from it. But I want, to, I want you to see the picture in God's mind. Watch this. This is, this is what Elevate Camp lived this week with those kids. This is the picture that we... Here's the father looking down. We are his sons, his daughters, his children, adopted. And we're doing his business. We're doing what he would be doing. And it's as if he's looking down and he wants to see that with my life, with my words, with all of my resources, that I'm pleading with you. Please, please, don't miss God. You will spend eternity separated from God. You can't say no to this. But I don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it. But listen, you please. I'm pleading with you. 
God is so good. It is so, so good to receive God's forgiveness and his love. And it's right there for you. And if you will simply trust him, did you know what he's done for you? Please respond. Please. That's the image of God that he has for his sons who are busy about his business. The question is, is that the way I'm living? Is that the way in my church that we set out into the community? Is that the way I live my life? It's a wonderful privilege to be God's son. There are many benefits, blessings that come with it. But this morning, we've also become keenly aware that there is a huge, fundamental purpose behind being adopted as a son. That we should always, always, without ceasing, without failing, consistently be busy about the Father's business. Proclaiming his goodness, showing his love, and saving the lost. Let's pray. Father, holy God, King of the universe, thank you for adopting me. This morning, if, if you're here and you heard about these teenagers that trusted Christ as Savior at camp, or the lost being saved, and you think, I don't, I don't know if I've been saved. I've never received God's forgiveness. Will you do that right now? I'm pleading with you this morning. I'm pleading with you. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and accept God's free gift of salvation and receive eternal life. It's one simple step away. Would you take that step and pray with me? It goes something like this. You pray. Father, I know that, that I have sin and it's my sin that I'm guilty of. I can't get to you. I'm not good enough. But I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for me, for my sins, for my failures. And he paid the price. And this morning I accept forgiveness because of what he did for me. By faith I believe. I trust you. Would you make that step this morning? How about others? Those who are adopted sons, you've prayed that prayer at some point in your life. And how many would just come to the altar this morning and just say, Father, I want to be busy about your business. Would you show me? Would you help me? From all across the room, I'm just going to invite you. This is not about me. This is between you and God. Would you come forward? Just church that comes to the altar to respond to God right now. Lord, I hear you speaking to me, and I say yes. Is there anybody? Anyone who feels compelled this morning as you're praying, come forward to the altar and bring sacrifice, bring praise, bring thanksgiving. this week to show your love by doing what you want me to do. Lord, Holy Spirit, show me right now, where's the darkness in my world? That I can go and display your love and give light. Where can I forgive someone that doesn't deserve it? can I treat someone so well in spite of their failure? Anyone praying for your church this morning? Lord, I want to be part of a, a people that's faithful to go out into the community where we live to take the good news and to take your love care for those who are hurting. Help us to know as a church how to do that and where to do that. What do you see?
praise you, Lord, because each one of us was abandoned. Without love and acceptance in our sin. And you chose to adopt us and bring us into your family. We thank you for that. We praise you. We get to be your sons and we thank you. Help us to be busy about your business, doing your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Can I call your attention to that chat card? The one we wiggled up in the air earlier? Would everybody take that card out? Let, let me give you a chance to continue your response to the Lord. But before you leave, we're, we're just, we're on time, we're okay. Everybody just, before you leave, listen carefully. If we encounter personally the holiness of God, shouldn't we walk away changed? If you truly encounter God, shouldn't we walk away transformed yeah that's what the bible teaches we should every single time when we come together we should be able to walk away from this place differently than we came because of what god has done in our midst and showed us in his word put that on the back of your card put on the back of your communication card here's how i've changed today here's what i'm going to do today here's what god showed me today and put that in the offering plate as it comes by in just a moment those are going to help with the offering would you come forward at this time guys all right, everybody gets to put a card, a response in that offering plate. It's your offering to God this morning in worship. I want to challenge you and encourage you to also be faithful and consistent with tithes and financial offerings as we give to the Lord. Your gift, every penny, every dollar you put in that plate is given unto the Lord with a heart that wants to worship and respond to Him. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. And I'm going to ask the guys who are passing the plates, that's a hard job to do sometimes. Would you make sure every single person gets the plate? Just pass it through every aisle. If you don't want to put anything in, just pass it. That's okay. But at least every person has a chance. We don't want anybody to be left out this morning. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for this morning that we just have an opportunity to worship you and give to you. And Lord, thank you for your word. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that we can respond to it. And as we give um, from our hearts, I pray that we can give... Um, just to further this ministry and further your word and, uh, and the gospel. Lord, be with the missionaries uh, that are out and, and serving you. And uh, Lord, just bless this church and thank you for the blessing it is to our community. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.